Hi, and welcome to another episode of Girl Boss Radio from Panoply. I'm your host, Sophia Amoruso, the founder of NastyGal.com, the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Hashtag Girl Boss, and the author of Nasty Galaxy, a beautiful, fully illustrated and linen-bound book full of color with everything from how to to a trip inside my house, a trip inside my closet, and Q&As with 12 different women who inspired me, and a foreword from Courtney Love. You can reserve your signed copy today at nastygal.com slash book. On this podcast, I interview a different woman who's carved out a path for herself. We trace her from her first job to how she got to where she is today to extract solid advice for our listeners who are doing the same with their lives. You guys, let's stay in touch. To stay in touch with all things Girl Boss, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Girl Boss. You can sign up for our newsletter, Girl Boss Diary, by going to girlboss.com, and you can follow me at Sophia Amoruso, at Sophia with a P-H, Amoruso, A-M-O-R-U-S-O, on Twitter and Instagram. I hope Girl Boss Radio helps you to achieve your goals. So you guys, please help us achieve our goals. If you like this podcast, please go to iTunes.com slash girlbossradio and subscribe and share your love on social media. We recently made it into the top 20, actually number 13, on iTunes, but it's not easy to stay there. So tell your friends, tell your friends to subscribe, share the podcast, and uh, make sure you tweet and Instagram in your girl boss moments every week. Today's guest is Claire Wineland, the founder of Claire's Place Foundation. But first, Liz Carey's back on the show. Liz, thanks for being here. Thanks, you little hot dog. Oh my God, I'm such a hot dog. How many hot dogs did you have on the 4th of July? I don't want to talk about it. I'm on a hot dog cleanse. Oh, so only hot dogs. Only hot dogs. Do you cut them or do you just swallow them like a giant pill? Funny that you ask. Oh, really? <laughs> because I just got interviewed by this very cool artist, Jason Poland. You know, he, he no. he's really cool. He interviewed me about hamburgers and hot dogs. And I did an entire interview on a hot dog. I slice my hot dog down the middle. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I put it in butter. Whoa. And then I put it in a pan. I don't understand people that boil hot dogs. Oh, well, no. I there's mean, two walks of people on this earth, right? No, no, no. There's three. I barbecue mine. I'm okay. High five. D- I'm down with that. You have yeah. to have some kind of crisp. I think so. Unless you're really hungry and you're on a New York sidewalk, I will take, yeah. I will take a boiled dog. That is the only time. Totally. We've been shooting and they're shooting in her bedroom. And um, it looks so pretty and I got to help design it. I got to buy some paint. You did? For my pretend bedroom on the TV. Maybe we can have a party there. I can't wait to watch this show. It's gonna When's be it going to come out? Sometime next year. I shouldn't even be talking about it. People are going to be like fatigued That's by like, it by the time it comes out because it's like... It's next no, it's year. it's yeah. interesting because people like my. I'll make a movie or a little show or something. And my mom's like, so when does it when does it come out? Because uh-huh. sometimes I'm just saying in Hollywood in general, people have no idea how long it takes to turn around mm-hmm. something. I made a movie a year and a half ago. It's just coming out in the fall. She's like, can you Snapchat me that movie that yeah. I just shot yesterday? <laughs> so maybe it's good. It'll be a lesson on how long it actually takes to get something made. Mm-hmm. If you are a, an avid girl boss listener. Yes. So I think personally, my moment this week, yeah, yeah, is letting go of my OCD. Um, I think people take offense <laughs> to that. 
Because no, I'm a, diagnosed. Oh, you are. Okay. Yeah. When the plans change for me, I'm like, well, sorry, mm-hmm, what? Mm-hmm. The plans have changed. We're doing what now? What? I know. What? This yeah, wasn't. This we, was. <laughs> we've all gotten those emails. Yeah. No. You no. Guys, no. You guys. <laughs> guys. 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 So, mm-hmm. being around. I'm the same. Yeah. I mean, I plan my week so that I don't have to like freak out at the last minute. Yeah, when things and when people are in sync, you're like, what's going on? Anyway, um, so my moment is letting go of my Just OCD. Just chilling out. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think mine was actually taking a holiday, like really enjoying the holiday and not being like, holidays are for schmucks that work at the bank. Yeah. You know, like those people are really just enjoying myself. I mean, the 4th of July is an easy one because it's just a fun holiday that's not super precious or, yeah. like, you know, about family dinners or, you know, it's easy to have a good 4th of July. I like fireworks. <laughs> I like setting things on fire. Um, one time I want to tell you the story that I was in a bank robbery once. Oh, wow. I just recalled the time I had a gun pulled on me at the shortstop in Echo Park. How weird. Because you said people that work in banks, and I thought of that, and then you thought of that. We both thought of... Well, because you said bank robbie, ding dong. Oh, sorry. Oh, my God. Um, okay. <laughs> Every week, you, our listeners, Instagram and tweet in your hashtag girlboss moment. And your girlboss moment can be... Pretty much anything. That's the beauty of it. It's just taking a moment to stop and recognize when you've done something deliberate for yourself that makes your life better and where you felt like you owned your life. And it can have to do with your career. It can also just be, you know what? I took a holiday. Booyah. Girl boss moment. Nicole Batak at Nicole Batak says, definite girl boss moment is learning when to say no and knowing what my priorities are. Oh, my God. I can't even tell you how much oh. I love saying no. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Oh, you do. Julie Molo at Fashionsaurus. Seeing my designs on stage live at Irving Plaza in NYC never gets old. That's pretty cool. Congratulations. Okay, McKenna at MacTheMain says, booked a flight with my own money to visit my best friend of 10 years on the opposite coast this summer. That's fun. That's fun. It's a big deal, like when you buy your first airline ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron Franklin at Cota Buck says, just got my first client as a social media consultant for a fellow girl boss building up her small business. Alyssa Mastromonaco. Oh, yeah. She's our guest next week. Awesome. So, girl boss moment alert. Just, oh, well. She did the podcast. She did the podcast. That's cool. I love it. Oh, Miss Scapegoat at Miss Scapegoat. My girl boss moment this week was upgrading our ship station account because we've reached over 3,000 orders a month. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. That is a lot. Good job. Brittany Evans, 11 hour workday, then Zumba kicked my ass. Feeling like a girl boss moment. Woohoo. Oh, I like your headband. I don't even know what Zumba is. Zumba's like a. Like a dance workout thingy? Yes. Liz, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's get to the interview. Today's guest is Claire Wineland, I think maybe one of the f- my favorite people I've ever met in life, hands down, and the founder of the Claire's Place Foundation. Thanks for coming on Girl Boss Radio. Thank you for having me. Have you done a lot of podcasts? No, actually. Really? I've done interviews, but not podcasts. You seem like such an expert, so Claire asked if she could drop like F-bombs on the show, and I told her she could, so we're going to go for <laughs> yeah. it. Oh, God. Um, you've been living with cystic fibrosis your whole life, yes. and... Just for our listeners, what is cystic fibrosis? So, yeah, so CF is a genetic disease, meaning you're born with it, and it affects 
pretty much every single organ you have by creating an overload of mucus. And the thing with CF is, you know, it's it's progressive. So as you get older, it gets worse. Um, and it's also terminal, which means, you know, it'll end in death before it ends in, you know, <laughs> getting cured or getting better. And, you know, the really the hard stuff with CF is that as you get older, the amount of treatments and the amount of meds you have to be on increases and increases and increases, but yet your health goes down. So you're doing more work for less benefit. And so that gets really incredibly frustrating when you get to be a teenager, you know, and you start feeling like it's totally. a little bit hopeless. So there's, you know, it's, it's a challenging illness, but it's easier to have had it since birth and to be familiar with it, mm -hmm. I think. Do people develop it as well? Nope. Okay. You can so only be born with it. Okay. Yeah, it's not contagious. Okay. <laughs> that's something a lot of people are worried about. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. Really? You're good. That's, wow. I can't even imagine thinking about something like that. It's contagious. That's so funny. Yeah, right? Um, I've had people ask. I've also had people ask if my oxygen is helium. Oh, fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, your I'm voice hot. is pretty high-pitched, but not like – it's not that It's not that high-pitched. <laughs> yeah. This is a funny podcast because it's – a lot of it is about like people's careers and their jobs and the stuff they've learned through like getting fired and you're right. by far our youngest guest, which is so cool. And I had the pleasure of seeing you speak at Patau, which was a marketing event. It was just really funny watching you address a room full of what you perceived, which is pretty accurate as like – these, you know, marketers who have worked their way up the ranks to in these like pretty big companies. It's like executives at Coca-Cola and yeah. Spotify. <clears throat> Not wherever. overwhelming at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Was it, you didn't seem nervous at all, but you basically showed up on stage in front of all these people and were like, you think I'm like living, like, you know, an abbreviated life? Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like pretty confrontational and like really, yeah, I just was like, oh my God, I have to have this girl on the podcast. Thank She's so you. cool. Thank you. Yeah, totally. It means a lot to me. Yeah, no, the first talk that I ever did was to, so it was at a, it was at a TEDx, but it was one where <clears throat> so I was like 14 years old and I'd never done an actual professional talk ever. And it was, you should have seen the people that went before me. It was a, you know, a guy who who did Doctors Without Borders, and who like these people who had started these huge companies, and it was all graphs and statistics. And right before I got on, there was this guy who this just brilliant scientist who was talking about stuff that's going to change the world, and right, and then like up walks this like fourteen year old with like a clunky oxygen tank, and, like <laughs> you know what I mean, my my little like Target dress, um, and so I was so incredibly overwhelmed by the people that I was talking to and I decided the only way that it was going to work is if I made fun of myself and like made fun of everything the whole time uh -huh. and it worked and so it was kind of initiation by fire so now every time I talk to people who are kind of you know intimidating uh -huh. I think it's it's easier if you just kind of realize the situation you're in if you just make yourself a clown people generally like you and you know it's like I'm on the f I've experienced that feeling of being like oh my gosh I don't have the graphs I don't have the lingo or I don't have yeah. the education I'm speaking to you know I'm at the Vanity Fair summit and like George Lucas is in the room like what am I you know and then on the flip side I've been the person who people for some reason are intimidated by it either way if you're the one doing the intimidating or being intimidated it makes everyone feel more comfortable if you just inject some humor because it humanizes anyone um it's so true no yeah. it's so true I, that's the only way that i actually like i don't want to get i'm a blabber so i'll like go off on this tangent if i don't keep it it's short perfect but for podcasts right <laughs> um but it's the only way that i actually get through kind of like dealing with people who are awkward around illness because yeah. the thing that the thing that's really interesting my friend talk about this all the time that whenever you meet someone who's sick 
automatically triggers in you like your weird death issues like any kind of fear you have around death or like not being able to like live long and healthy gets triggered when you meet someone new so you get awkward you don't really know what to say you don't know how to like you know and so I've dealt with that forever and it's hard when you're doing nonprofit. it's hard when you're speaking because like you want people to first of all take you seriously like uh-huh. your head trying to have like a business conversation yeah. there over there Stop like thinking about yourself <laughs> exactly right <laughs> um, and the only way to deal with it is to like make, make death jokes like off the off the bat and That's then it good. like breaks the ice yeah do you I have agree. like a favorite death joke no, normally it's just oxygen jokes. Yeah. Like, you know, it'll, it'll be like, you know, sometimes I'll take off the oxygen and you'll see everyone like freak out. For oh, a like moment. you're going to fall over. Like I'm going to fall over and die. Claire <laughs> has no oxygen happening on her face right now. I right now, yeah, I took off my oxygen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, because headphones, uh-huh. the headphones, are right, it always gets tangled oh, without funny. fail. Yeah. Yeah. And when you have earbuds in, like the, uh, the, the Apple earbuds, and then the oxygen, and then I do breathing treatments, which is like three other tubes. And I'm not even kidding you. I mean, it gets like a ball of knots. Wow. Yeah. So tell me about the oxygen treatments. Is there special stuff in the oxygen? No. So majority of what I do treatment-wise, so, so, so with CF, the problem with CF is that you have an overload of mucus in the body. So mucus can't be cleared like it is with normal people, like when you have a cold and you just cough a lot, right? It doesn't happen with me. It's like tar. So what my treatments are is trying to actually move the mucus and make sure that it doesn't settle and turn into cysts. Mm. So it's hypertonic treatments, which is literally salt water that I breathe in. Um, and then I do something called a vest, which is a, literally a vest that inflates and shakes and tries to move the mucus and all that. So that takes around an hour. And then there's a bunch of, I mean, I'm on maybe 70, 75 medications. And it takes four to five hours a day to do all that. And then aside from that, I'm also on oxygen. Because the surface area in my lungs, I don't have enough surface space to absorb oxygen properly. So I need a little bit extra. Okay. So it's it, they're two, yeah. So they're two separate things, but they're both just trying to make sure I don't, you know, pass out. Totally. Can you exercise? I can. <laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> uh, yeah. <so. laughs> I mean, you know, um, no, I do actually. CF. A lot of people with CF find really, really good results with working out. Like it really does help their lungs, but it hurts. Like. Because oh, wow. like, it forces them to expand. Forces you to expand your lungs. Cardio is like near impossible, you know, because you can't breathe in deep enough. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So most of what CFers end up doing is strength training more often because more muscle work is a little bit easier. You totally. Know? And it probably brings oxygen to like all parts yeah, of your body. I yeah. don't really know how it works. No, it does. And so I heard you at a turning point when you were 13 and you've had how many surgeries like 35. And there was complications to one of your surgeries where there was an infection. And can you tell me more about this? Yeah. So I was exactly 13. So what's funny is I had been in the hospital for a week and I was about to go home and I was going to start high school soon. And I was really excited. And I'd been getting progressively healthier and I was kind of on the right track and all of that. And it was my 13th birthday party and we had it at a bowling alley and I got a day pass so I could sneak out of the hospital for a day and everyone I knew came and it was really fun. It was great. And there's pictures of me like laughing and smiling and looking great. And <laughs> um, I mean healthy, not actually, you know. Um, and then the day after my 13th birthday was the surgery. So what ended up happening is they nicked my stomach while they were in there and it leaked into my bloodstream. So I got something called sepsis, which is a blood infection. Um, and sepsis attacks the weakest part of your body, 
which was my lungs. <laughs> and, and so I went into full-on lung failure within, you know, 24-hour period. And the crazy thing is that no one had any idea why. And there was no way to stop it because they didn't know it takes a while for blood cultures to come back and tell you you have an infection. Um, so all they could do was kind of try and put a Band-Aid on it. So I got intubated. And then the ventilator that they put me on What is work. intubated just for... Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> so intubated is where they stick a tube down your throat um, and into your lungs and they inflate your lungs and breathe for you. Okay. And that didn't even work which is crazy. That always works. Um, and it didn't work on me. And so they had to do something called an oscillator, which is same thing as a ventilator. They stick the tube down your throat into your lungs, but it inflates your lungs and it doesn't let them deflate and it vibrates them. So it sounds like a giant helicopter in the room. And no one with cystic fibrosis in medical history had ever been on an oscillator and come off alive. So when they put me on the oscillator, it was a, it was a big deal. And um, I had a 1% chance of surviving and, uh, you know, and an even smaller chance of making it off the ventilators and off the life support and all that. So and, you were, in a, um, were you in a coma? I was in a coma. So they put me in a coma right when they intubated me so that I wouldn't freak out okay. that there was a tube down my throat. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I was in a coma for almost three weeks. And my doctors, who I've known since I was four years old, and who love me like parents, you know, were, were freaking out and didn't know what to do and, and tried everything. And they kind of, I mean, they went so outside the box. My, one of my doctors had to flip me upside down, um, like on my, on my stomach and then turn the bed. So it was tilted. So I was at a Trendelenburg angle so that they could try and drain some of my lungs. And I puffed up like a balloon. So there's a picture of me. I look like a doll. I look like a giant chubby, like one of those cabbage patch kid you know, dolls. Yeah. So it was really, really intense. And during that period, I had, you know, my whole family and all of our friends and everyone come out to support my parents. So my parents are in RNAA and in the program and all of that. And it was a really hard time for them. And so the story goes, uh, the meeting house that they normally go to brought the meetings to the hospital. Amazing. So for the weeks that I was in the coma, they would have the whole thing downstairs in, in the hospital cafeteria. Um, so, yeah, uh, that happened for three weeks, and then miraculously I woke up after a lot of, you know, ups and downs, and I, I, I died once I flatlined, I think maybe once or twice. And, um, <laughs> no big deal. No biggie. I've never heard um, anyone who's died on the podcast. First time for everything. Um, and so, yeah, so then when I came out, though, that was actually the hardest part because I was asleep during all of that you know, I was passed out I don't yeah. remember and all these people of, are freaking out yeah exactly but then when I woke up you know I had to feel it all I had to feel like all the all the pain and the damage my lungs were kind of damaged beyond repair and um and just how much my life had changed I couldn't even walk for the first month I couldn't hold a fork I couldn't draw like I, I'm I'm an artist and I love painting and drawing and I couldn't even pick up a pencil and um wow so I had to, it was three months after the actual coma that I had to do all the rehabilitation work. And that was definitely the hardest part. But it was also the time period where the whole foundation came into play. So yeah. I had nothing to do but to lay there, you know, so. So it's called the Claire's Place Foundation. So yeah. you started this after this event in your life. Yes. Tell me about the Claire's Place Foundation. Okay, good. This is my favorite topic. Yeah. <laughs> I love talking about. So through that whole experience, when we came out of it and when I was, you know, recovering, and that was really when I needed the most support and when my family needed the most support, 
My mom had been off work for, you know, months at this point. Yeah, you know what imagine. I mean? And and luckily my dad, you know, he owns his own business, so it was easier for him. But that's rare. That's very rare for people, you know, for parents to be able to take off work. So we realized while I was laying there and trying to get my life back together that so many other people with CF have been through this exact thing. You know, and in some cases worse, like they will be in the hospital for six months, you know, and and not getting better, but getting worse. And so, you know, we realize there's no support system for families that are going through that. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. were lucky enough to have that. We were lucky enough to have friends and family and people to come out. But very few families do, you know, and, mm-hmm. and people don't have other people to bring them food and to go talk to their bosses and explain the situation. And so that's how the whole foundation started. We realized we could actually give them the support system that we were lucky enough to have. Yeah, absolutely. And so you've done that. And yeah. how have you raised funds for the foundation? <laughs> and tell me some of the circumstances of where you've helped other families. Sure. So it's it's a hard foundation in a way because most nonprofits they'll have kind of a they'll have a section of their nonprofit that's giving money, but most of it's actually doing deeds or or doing stuff with people. For us, it's literally all just giving money. We pay for their rent. We pay for their car payments. We pay for their mortgages and their, you know what I mean, and their travel expenses. And so that's a lot of money. Um, And that's a lot of money having to be given out each month, you know what I mean, to handfuls of family, um, handfuls of families. And so, you know, for us, it's kind of I don't know. Raising funds has been actually the hardest part. We had to learn how to write grants. Uh-huh. But, you know, like I'm, I was, I, I was fucking like Wait, 14, 15, <laughs> you know, so like Amazing. I was not, I was not a businesswoman. Um, I never had any experience in this and neither was my mom really. I mean, she, you know, she, she worked, she, you know, she did some editing. She did some assistant work. Like she's, you know, she's done tons of jobs in her life, but she never run a nonprofit. And, you know, there we mm-hmm. were like in the back bedroom, you know, with our computers trying to figure all of this out. Did you like buy a book or like what was the Yeah, we did a little nonprofit for dummies. Yeah, totally. um, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, which helped a lot. <laughs> Actually, I mean, my grant first writing book for was dummies. eBay for dummies. Oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> good. I wonder how many businesses, if you go through and really ask, how many businesses have been started from a dummies book? I mean, it gets you. It really gets you like the first big it does. step. Yeah, yeah. Um, admitting that you don't know anything is is like, the first step. It really yeah. is. So you know, you have to be a dummy. Agreed. <laughs> We're all dummies at some I point. Know, right? um, but. Uh, yeah, so so it was it was hard fundraising for the first three years, and something that everyone tells you, and I don't know if this is the same in other businesses, and this is just like a normal thing, but in nonprofit, the rule that I mean, everyone that we spoke to was so negative about it and said, if you can make it past the first five years, that's going to be a fucking miracle and great. You'll be able to, you know what I mean? Then you then you can make it forever if you can make it past the very f- first five years. Mm-hmm. But I highly doubt you can. Something like 90% of all nonprofits fail wow. within the first five years. So, you know, we are kind of like, I mean, obviously we're not going to make it. We're like, you know, we've never done this. There's no way we're going to make it when, like, all these other people haven't. Um, And then I remember there was – we got this one case – um, or it was, it was actually, it was a series of cases that we got kind of close together of families. Cause up until that point, you know, we'd gotten a few here and there that hadn't been much. And then we finally started getting people who really needed help. And there was a kid who, you know, was getting organ transplants and needed to be able to travel and they didn't have any money and he was going to die if they couldn't go. And, you know, and all of a sudden it became a necessity. 
Like it stopped being something we were just kind of trying to like la-di-da do. It became something like, wow, this actually, we need to have money now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the moment it stopped just being kind of like fun and flimsy and it started being really serious to us, mm-hmm. we started fundraising more. And then we did our first flash mob. And that happened right around the great time where all the flash mobs were happening. So it was a good time for mm-hmm. it. We got like 400 people to come, which was cool How does for a us. flash mob raise money? Uh, everyone buys to like participate in oh, the flash cool. mob and learn the dance and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then people who are there and see the dance donate. And so we got tons of money from the first flash mob. And then we just started doing fundraisers. So we we're just like, this, this is, we're going to just send out everything we can. We learned how to write grants. So we, we did tons of grant proposals to like anyone who would take it and, you know, applied for awards that had money involved and kind of just went and did everything we possibly could and that we could possibly think of. And it worked. Somehow it worked. And it's been six years. And I kid you not, right after the fifth year mark is when we started getting big. Like the CF Foundation, the actual legit CF Foundation started noticing and recognizing our work. And then we won the LA Business Journal Nonprofit of the Year Award. Amazing. That was like, it was, and it was, I kid you not, like right after five years, all of this happened in like one month. And we're like, wow, we did it. So you're 19 and you've been running a nonprofit for six, six years. years. That's amazing. I'm gonna like slow down. I mean, I'm gonna get to be 25. I'm gonna be so tired. Oh god, I'm so done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I started Nasty Gal when I was 22, and I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah. I give up today. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Um, so you're in community college and you work a part time job. Yes. Social media <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Tell me about just. The college experience, we have so many listeners that are in college, on their way into college, or on their way out of college. And I just, you know, I think you have a really unique perspective, just literally physically, like where you've been in life. And then also just as a person, what do you witness your peers doing at your age that you think is just like, you know, I don't get it. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Oh, that's a good question. What advice do you have to the faceless people that you're surrounded by who are considered your peers? I think that, (laughs) yeah, wow. I think that the main thing for me personally is that a lot of people do things and go about their life for the purpose of somehow things being easier Mm -hmm. if they get what they're trying to get. So for me, you know, the one thing that everyone, when you're sick, the one thing that everyone wants you to have and that expects you to have is health. You know what I mean? Like they want you to try and get healthier. And if you're healthier and maybe one day if you can get, you know, your your lung function up to a certain level, if you know your, your weight up to a certain level, if you can, you know what I mean, um, run a marathon, you will have a better and more fulfilling life. And the truth is I've been sick for the past six years. Right? I've been very sick and I up and down and sometimes can't get out of bed for a week. And yet I have done more than most people my age have. And I've really, really loved my life. Like, not in a corny, like, my life's great, it's all happy, it's all beautiful. Like, it's not. Sometimes it's shitty. But I've really, really loved it. And I've loved what I've gotten to do and experience. And that's been while I'm sick. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I think the one thing that I see people doing is expecting that when they get their degree, when they get their job, you know what I mean? When they, when they you know, get to a certain point in their life, things will be easier, things will be better, things will be less painful. But I really do think it's part of being a human being is it's painful. You kind of have to choose. You yeah. Know, this is this is where I am right now and this is how exactly. I'm going to approach it rather than just constantly looking out a year ahead or, you know, chasing something that yeah. may or may not happen. Yeah. And what can you make with what you got? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like what, what do you have to give with where you are? I like to say that there's 
what you have, and then there's what you do with what you have. And there's really not yeah. much else. Yeah. That's it. That and then you so can true. create things based on what you do with what you have. Sure, that can be something, but you can't do some I don't know. I'm gonna get really no, 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 that, that's but so true. Yeah, there's you can't do anything with something that you don't have. And so sitting around hoping and praying for it, you can obviously earn it. You can you can finish college. That will do things, but then there's what are you doing right now for yourself to live your life deliberately? And I think that's a really big part of what Girl Boss is about. It's just oh. about choosing instead yeah. of letting life happen to you. Oh, exactly. exactly. Um, I feel like I was angsty for less good reason, maybe than you have. <laughs> Um, in my like late <laughs> teens and I saw people just preparing for a life of just utter boredom and oh, like God. accepting whatever it is that, you know, that comes yeah. their way and there's, you know, and that can be perfectly fine. But then there's like the radical thing called choice and dreaming up what it is that we want in our lives, not because it's what's in front of us, but it's because what we have considered. And yeah. I think that's a really different thing. No, it is. It's huge. Yeah. And also it's selfish in my opinion to sit back and be like, oh, man, I mean, if I just like do nothing with my life, it's fine. Like I'm happy. Uh-huh. Like, you know what I mean? In a way, because yeah. first of all, you're not going to be happy. Like uh-huh. humans, we're not happy when we're not like doing things. It's we're true. not. We're miserable, which is why sick kids are so miserable because everyone just expects them to like sit in the corner and play with their little like, little like uh-huh. you know coloring book and not make anything of their lives, and so they're miserable. <laughs> but you know, but but I think the thing with people is it is selfish to not think about what you can give and what you can create. Because uh-huh. we have, th- we do have so much. Well, I think it's some people don't see life as a gift, and whether you know who that gift is from, I don't really get into. Like it's, I you know that people are like very averse to religion or anything like that. But I just think you know it's it's a mystery, and I don't know why birds hop around like that. But I'm super curious about it. Yeah. And like you know, I can trip out on that for a really long time. And I think once you stop doing that, then it's like you know life is just like a real bummer. So you have a theory about bucket lists. I do have a thing. I want to. Hear, I want you to talk about bucket lists because there's such a thing. And and bucket lists, you know, it's another thing you mentioned when I saw you speak was the Make a Wish Foundation, right? <laughs> which um, you also said have done like awesome things for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I have a love hate relationship with them. Totally. Definitely. But the entire philosophy of um of just like oh I better squeeze this one last thing out because that thing's worth more than whatever it is that I'm doing now. Anyway, right? Tell me what your theory on bucket lists is. So with with both bucket lists and Make-A-Wish, the problem is that it's kind of the same thing we were just talking about. The problem is that it's kind of expecting that if you're not healthy, right, if you're sick or if you're dying, that like somehow your life is miserable, Mm -hmm. right, which is ridiculous because there's people who are incredibly healthy and who have surfed like 10-foot waves and jumped out of helicopters and you know what I mean, who are miserable, completely miserable, right? So like when there's all of a sudden this this cap on people's, you know, life and, and they realize they're going to die and they, and they get all stressed out and they think, okay, I have to like rush and make my life good before it's all over. The misconception with that is that it's the slow process of living your life and creating and just being that's actually what's going to make you happy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there's and with Make a Wish, the problem is that it's like what we do with I mean, this is I don't know if this is like correct to say. What? So we, we might have to we might have to call the publicist. Okay, we might you might have to cut this out. <laughs> but it's like all of the little 
starving African children commercials mm-hmm. where you, you know, you should donate to them and, and, you know, give them some food so that they're not so like sad and miserable. Mm-hmm. But no, but the problem with that is that it's expecting that those kids' lives are not complex or interesting or at all. Uh-huh. Right. Meanwhile, that kid like probably isn't that it miserable. It reduces them. Yeah, to it something. reduces them to yeah. just wanting food when probably uh-huh. like, yeah, they think about food. Of course, they'd love like a hamburger. But like the truth is they probably have interesting lives. They have friends. They have dreams. Yeah. They have like they're probably kick ass in a lot of to ways. To think that like, you know, it's going to make a dying kid's life by letting <laughs> right, like, right, one of, like right. an NBA player. Or yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, exactly. Hopefully like there's more going on than that. And <laughs> instead of teaching people to to like wait for someone to come into their life and give them a chance to meet Zac Efron. Like, can we like, <laughs> can we like change the conversation and have it be like, how do they actually create their own lives into something that's like 10 million times better than yeah. Zac Efron's abs? You know yeah. what I mean? Like something that's actually really beautiful and inspires them and it's their own life and that they're working towards and that they're creating. And you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's like, why do we have to have this notion that, you know, we need these huge, you know, bursts of like, uh, you know, whatever, like jumping out of helicopters and all of that to actually make totally. your life worth something. I think it's really funny that humans just want to like fling themselves around and that's like a thrill. Like yeah. I don't have any desire to jump out of a plane. Yeah. I like a roller coaster <laughs> once in a while, but it's just funny the things that we build to like just get like high off the ground and like roll around and like that. It's yeah, like, no, it's, um, it's so weird. Humans are, humans super, are so weird. Super weird. I don't so, know, even about like even even me like in the hospital you get so you get you get bored after being there forever. So you start coming up with like weird, like weird shit. Tell what me about say? all the have you like built forts or like Oh, totally built forts. I spent a whole so so when I got my I got a port calf put in when I was like seven. What's that? So it's like a little metal dome under the skin. Mm. Um half robot. And it feels like a little button so you're too, like which is cr- trippy. Small wonder. Yeah, we have guys that, yeah. What's wait, what's small wonder? <laughs> oh, you're too young. I had a moment. <laughs> it's like an eighties cartoon about a girl that's a half robot. Ooh, yeah. It's okay. No, I am. Yeah. Um, but no, guys always freak out because it's like you can't see it. Uh-huh. But then like sometimes they'll accidentally touch it. And Can it I touch fe- it? Yeah, yeah, touch it. Oh, whoa. Oh, right? Cool. It's it just feels like a clavicle that's a little... Oh, it's a button? No, it's not actually a button. Oh, okay. It feels like a button. Yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. I wish it was a button. Cool. Um, <laughs> like activate my willpower. Um, <laughs> Laser. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling lazy. I'm just <laughs> present. Um, but no, so so I got this put in. It's to help with IV access so that you can, you don't have to go digging around for a vein in it's your like arm. It's like a, I don't like a. Oh, oh, um, to like to drain stuff, you know? I have this no thing. idea. It's it's like a pick lines. Have you, do you know pick lines? No. It makes sense though. It's <laughs> yeah. just easier than dealing it's, with your You vein. just put a needle right in there and yeah. it has, and there's a tube under the skin that leads to the heart. And so it's direct access to the heart. Nice. Yeah. We should all have one of those, I right? Know. Like just for I medical know. emergencies. Right. And like- Although I got to say it's like not much because so, so I had old ones um, that were – and this is the one I'm actually – the story is about – that are right, were right under my boob. And uh-huh. I was 14, maybe 15. And so my my boobs like they weren't they weren't new new but they were they were still sensitive uh-huh. and so it's right there like half on the boob you know and so they have to stick a needle in it uh huh so in some ways it's like ten oh, times that's more a painful, painful spot, so yeah. yeah so so they were needing to they were needing to get access and to reaccess me freaked out panicked um, went into the cupboard. Uh-huh. Like brought my book and my sheet and my light and went to the cupboard, locked the cupboard from the inside and wouldn't come out for literally a day and a half. Cool. Yeah. So, and they didn't make you? 
No, they oh they did. The doctor came in and like sat outside and was like. They like oh, brought Claire. you food and left you. Yeah, like, yeah. You did eat something. Yeah, I mean, what can you do? You five thousand calories. Yeah, five calories. Has it always been five thousand, or does it increase as you get older? It's pretty much always five thousand. <laughs> yeah. So you can eat like a hot dog and a hamburger and onion rings and could, French fries I in could. one sitting. And I can eat a lot in one sitting. Cool. Yeah, my friend thinks I should do pie eating contests. It's, I can't imagine. I mean, like, I feel really great about myself when other people finish their food because I pretty much always finish my food. <laughs> so then, like, eating with you would be like really dangerous because yeah. I just like I'd eat your food. Okay, cool. <laughs> awesome. Um, I think a big part of your message is that you're not allowing other people to victimize you, and mm. you're definitely not victimizing yourself. Do you see a lot of that just in average people? I feel like I. I've known people and even know people who, you know, the smallest thing, they will just, instead of taking control of whatever it is and doing something positive about it, they'll make excuses and blame other people. And oh, yeah. like, oh, definitely. It's, <laughs> it's got to be like really trippy to watch other people just be like as petty as they can. Oh, be, right? it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, it, it's a it's a pity thing. It's all a pity thing. Like we yeah. all pity ourselves. And the thing, the problem with pity is that in a way it's fun. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like oh, when yeah, you're when you're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. You can sometimes convince other people to do exactly. it. Exactly. And then like when it's late at night, it's kind of narcissistic. And oh, it's totally narcissistic. And you're alone and no one's ever going to love you. You go down that like spiral of all the reasons why your life is horrible. And like in a weird way, it's enjoyable. Like it's like scratching that itch. But we all, we pity ourselves to such a huge degree. And the thing is, we could come up with a million reasons, you know, every single day why our life sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that, and that's just the way it is. I, I mean, if I wanted to, if I wanted to really think about how bad my life is, it's not even the CF part, to be honest with you. The CF is like a small sliver of the pie. Like, I've had a... I had a weird childhood, you know, uh-huh. and I had – there's a lot of other stuff that I probably shouldn't talk about on a podcast, but there's a lot of things that I could, you know, that I could pity myself Boo-hoo for. About, yeah. And for all people who are sick, yeah, a million things. But the truth is, like, at the end of the day, there's also – so many interesting things going on on this planet, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not even, it's like, you know, it's like we get to be a part of human history. We get to be a part of this like massive story that's being told throughout, you, you know, years and years and years and generations and all of these ups and downs and, and wars and progress and, and you know what I mean? And we get to be a part of that and we get to either contribute to it or we don't. Mm-hmm. And like no one's going to remember our sob story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No one's going to remember like, you know, if we spilled our coffee and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? If like, no one's going to remember that. You either contribute to the whole or you don't. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to contribute to the whole and you're going to waste away like in your, you know, in your house and feel sorry for yourself, that's fine. Do that. But, like, do that with some ownership. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. stop kind of ex- wondering why life isn't working for you. Because it's not working for you because you're pitying yeah. yourself. If you're going to be miserable, you better fully come. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> Claire's Thank message. Thank you, Claire. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's, that's an incredible message. So I heard you've planned your own funeral. <laughs> this yeah. is so interesting. Does it change? Like, do you have all it written time. down somewhere? <laughs> all the time. Have you inspired other people to do the same? I might have. I've talked to other CFers who were having really big fears around death. 
And I told them that's what I do. And um, and they've been like, oh, that's a good idea. And I'm never right. sure because it's always online. So I'm never sure if they're like, wow, that's really weird. Um, or if they actually cool. think it's a good idea. Um, but no, I'm so, so right. Currently, first of all, I'm being cremated. And then I'm thinking, you know, do I want to like split the ashes into like four parts, have like one part go into little jars and have little like places on each jar in the world, you know, and then give those jars to different people and they have to travel to that place and dump the ashes out there? Or do I want to put in a, in like paints? And do I want a painting Ooh. made out of my ashes? Do I want to put it in a tree? Like there's so many choices. Yeah. There's too many choices. I'm like overwhelmed. I know. You can yeah. only spread so many places. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. And there's going to be Otis Redding and, uh, and Al Green playing at I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like there's going to be like amazing. Uh, maybe some Beach Boys. Okay. Just those are all really good choices. Yeah, thank you. Um, my friend's going to give a really intense monologue. So my, my friend always feels like no one understands who I really am. Uh-huh. And she has this whole this whole thing that, like, once I'm gone, she wants to just, like, raise hell and be like, none of you understood her. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. That'll be fun. That's cool. <laughs> Drama. So one thing we do on this podcast is I ask every one of our guests what their girl boss moment of the week was. And so our listeners tweet and Instagram in hashtag girl boss moment. And that is, you know, for some people, it's like I did something nice for myself or I achieved something in my career. Claire, in the last Ooh. week, what was your girl week. boss so I'm working on a new program, which I actually talked about at Patel, which is the whole room decorating program. Yeah. And it's so incredibly challenging to figure out a way to actually make this work. Uh-huh. Like, I, you know, I mean, like, I have been doing the whole nonprofit thing for a while. So I'm, I'm now starting to understand how corporations think and what they will and won't do and what they mm-hmm. will and won't give. So tell our listeners what the room oh. decoration challenge is. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous to explain to people because they're like, okay, why is that needed? So I decorate my rooms, my hospital rooms, and I have since I was like seven. And not just like not just like a little bit of decorating, but like full over the top room decoration. And the first time I ever did it, I remember I was really scared and I was really sad and I was having a really hard hospital stay and I was, uh, you know, like just everything that could go wrong went wrong. And I was looking through this magazine, this like whole HGTV uh, Home and Gardens magazine, and there's a picture of just this beautiful like New York loft apartment. Um, and I really wanted to be there. I didn't want to be in the hospital. I didn't want to be going through this. I wanted to be in that loft. And I was like, well, I mean, I have a room. And there's like a Target down the street, you know, that that has room decorating stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I forced my mom to go and get me supplies. And that was how it all began. And then I, I decorated my room and I went crazy and I moved the bed and turned it into a couch and did twinkle lights and lamps and painted the walls with bricks. And it was so cool and so over the top that everyone from the hospital for like three days came into the room to see it and to like Amazing. all go at it. And it was the proudest moment of my entire life. And so I've recently decided now that the foundation has gotten to a place where we are really being able to actually raise money and actually help people. And we're like, we're, we're set now. We're grounded now. Like our roots are grounded. I can actually try and do this for other kids. Yeah. And the problem is I don't know how exactly because giving them the supplies is such a huge deal because it's expensive to go out and buy lamps and buy, you know what I mean? So totally. so how do we get them supplies? Do I teach them how to do it themselves or do I come and do it for them like an HGTV special? Like what is this uh-huh. going to be like? And so I was trying to put it all together and trying to figure it out. But then I finally had like a breakthrough that if I if I could swindle this and I can make it into like if I could pitch it to different companies. Did you just use swindle in a positive term? I did. I, 
okay. on the swindler. I interrupted. <laughs> all, all business people are swindlers. I mean, I think we're just, um, <laughs> what, opportunists? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a nice way of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But if I could get businesses to donate supplies and in turn give them, like, the credibility of, like, helping decorate sick kids' rooms and giving them, like, pictures and stuff and making it, like, a whole campaign. I could get them to, like, donate tons of stuff and the boxes and everything. And now I'm super excited and I'm writing that program. That's and it was, like, smart. a moment where I realized I can use I can use the world's image of sick kids for good. Uh-huh. Like, I can totally. get, you know what I mean? Because everyone totally. wants to have, like, a cute little bald cancer kid, like, on their, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> I'm only allowed to say that because I am sick. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, I think brands are always looking for ways to polish themselves or make themselves look oh, yeah. like they're into something good, but a lot of them don't have the infrastructure or access or exactly. understanding of what the issues are to get as close as someone like you. So being that conduit, I think, is a, a really powerful thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to do – that's going to be awesome. That's a huge Thank girl you. boss moment. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> exciting. Claire, where can we find you? We didn't even talk about your t- YouTube channel. We didn't. Um, and I follow you on social media. Where can we learn more about the foundation and about you? So you can actually go to clairesplacefoundation.org and get all of our info that way. Uh, or you can go onto YouTube. You can go to the Clarity Project. And that's C-L-A-I-R-I-T-Y. Yes. Claire, thank you so much for being here. Thank this you for having me. This was super fun. It was yeah. fun. Yeah. That was another episode of Girlboss Radio. We'll be back next week, so please tune in. Our producer is Shara Morris. Thanks also to Kristen Meinzer, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And thanks also to the band Phases for our theme song and my husband, Joel Jark DeGraff, who is now going by the name Same Animal for our interstitial jam. I'm Sophia Amoruso. I'll be back next week.